I was uh, having a chat with Dominic today because I know at one point um, we had Joe and Dom over for dinner or lunch or something, and he saw this sticker on my on my Nalgene here, my water bottle, and was asking about it. I thought he'd actually been to this place, which would have made the story so much better, but he hadn't. Um, he was just asking about it, and uh, I was just telling him like the story of, of how I got it. Basically, I was uh, I was asked to lead a youth retreat for a church. That was, that was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the retreat was in Colorado at this place called Noah's Ark. It's like a white water rafting thing. It was very cool. I've never really actually done it before. Um, the topic of my talk over those series of days was Beauty Will Save the World, which is stolen from a Dostoevsky novel. Um, but the, uh, the backdrop for where we were could not have been much better. It was, it was Colorado. It was like, uh, there was like a bubbling brook behind me. There was like these big massive snow-capped mountains even further back and it was Colorado in summer which is very not like Manchester at all which is nice and slightly breezy and very comfortable and you can sit outside on the grass. Uh, I mean I was like born in New Jersey, grew up in Florida. Mountains are unique to me. Like I'm not used to being around mountains but these guys, the, the, the youth group I was supposed to speak to, like were totally used to it. They grew up in Albuquerque. Albuquerque is in a valley surrounded by mountains. They're called the Sandias Mountains because when the light shines on them, they look like, it's like watermelon color. Watermelon, Sandias is Spanish for watermelon. And it's just like a very pretty, beautiful place to live. And then we go to Colorado and it's like dramatic. And I'm, I'm like, oh, these kids are going to love like the mountains. Like, how, how can you not love this? But they're kind of like, yeah. I was like, do you guys like see what's going on back there? Like, yeah, we're, we're kind of used to mountains. What in the world? Like they, you should be like lost in wonder about the amazing kind of dramatic fourteen thousand foot peaks or whatever the things are that we're looking at. Um, but it was just kind of lost on them, which you know maybe it's because they had to listen to me. I don't know. I'm not sure what what the deal was. Uh, but I think really in life we're a lot like those kids. Like we've, I think in general, have lost our capacity to wonder. I think wonder, not like a thoughtful thing, but like being lost in something like full of awe. It's not something that we're normally kind of inbuilt with because uh, you know everything is known all areas have been explored there's nothing really to catch us off guard except that's just not completely true in fact it's not true at all there are all sorts of new places that are waiting to be explored there's all sorts of things that we already know waiting to be rediscovered and, and waiting to be appreciated again in a new light and I think this will always be true especially with nature this will always be true no matter what because Psalm 19 says this it says the heavens declare the glory of God the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sounds heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. They don't have actual words, but they're saying something. They're, they're saying, and that means we will experience, when we experience nature on its own terms, we can do the same walk every month. We could listen to that same piece of music even and we'll still have that sense of wonder because it's full of God's glory and God's glory is something infinite. You can never completely scratch it all because God has pumped this world so full of his glory and really like our lives, we're just there saying like, yeah, so what? We see mountains all the time. It's not a big deal. So this story we're going to read about here in chapter three is a story about an amazing healing, a miraculous healing. Um, it's also about God working in amazing ways. And maybe sometimes you're like, yeah, this is kind of like how things happen in this time. Crazy, these crazy, miraculous things happen all the time. Um, but what, is, what this is about for us and, and for the people here, it's about living in an ordinary world and being lost in the wonder of God. Being like people who were, who were weak, uh, being then restored to a life of wonder. 
And what we're going to discover about Jesus here is that through Jesus, we get to be healed of our lack of wonder. In fact, that's a healing that we all need. We may not be like this lame person here who has problems with his legs, um, but we all need a healing. And this is, so we'll talk about how Peter brings those two things together. Three things we're gonna look at. How we are beggars, how Jesus heals us, and how we're restored from a life of weakness to a life of wonder. So let's first start with how we're beggars. So we are beggars. So this man that, we, that uh, Peter and John come across has never walked, lame from birth. Didn't he, like, it's not like he lost the capacity to walk. He never, not only could he never walk, he never had the capacity to learn how to do it to begin with. It was something that he just never had. That, um, and so he had to be outside the tumble gates um, every day asking for people to give him money or food so that he could eat. If he didn't get money or food that day, he wouldn't eat. And he couldn't even get, the, he couldn't even get to these temple gates himself. He had to be carried there by other people. So he's completely incapable to live life on his own, utterly dependent on others for food. This isn't even like shelter or you know, retirement or a nice car. This is just eating day to day. And, that, and this would be the life for this man. Nobody, including this man, would expect his life to change. Like, this is my life. Like, this is just what's always going to be. This is my lot. He was born that way of no fault of his own. But then, after we, we have the story of this, this layman who's had physical problems, but then there are other beggars in this story. The people uh, that Peter is speaking to are, are in a terrible spot, and not because they were born that way, but because of their own actions. Peter brings this up in, in verse 13. Uh, you know, Peter doesn't really mince words ever. He's the guy, remember, he cut another guy's ear off because he's like, ah. Um, he's like, you killed Jesus. Like, yeah, this guy has a problem with his legs, but you killed Jesus. That's pretty bad. Like, that's that's. That's basically as bad as you get. You killed him. So he said, this man has a problem with his legs. It's one thing. Yeah, he was born that way, but you killed the Lord. And the words that Peter spoke to the people then reverberate to us today. This isn't like, oh yeah, those people then, they, that's horrible. They're, they're the bad ones. Like, it's, we have that same kind of heart inside of us. We are all guilty. We've done some bad things and we think of them. We feel shame. We feel guilt. We don't like those feelings. So we either step them down forget about them, try and explain them away. We have all sorts of coping mechanisms, but they don't really deal with the issues. It's not something we want to dwell on, so we try not to. I mean, how do we speak to our kids when we're angry? How many times have I said something to Colin in my anger? I'm like, oh, he's going to need a therapist. Like, <laughs> save up now, bud. Like, we don't have the money for it, sorry. But maybe, you know, maybe you'll have a good job. You can pay for someone to fix all the wrongs I've screwed you up with. Uh, or what about, like, how we speak to our partner? I mean, the people who we love in our lives, the people who are close to us, are the people we reserve the worst words for. What we do when nobody's looking. I mean, every time our life is out of alignment with God, whether we feel that to be something significant or not, regardless of our feelings, like, it is significant. It does matter. Jesus was held on a cross for that reason, and we held him there. So our hearts are the same that handed Jesus over to be killed, are the same that disowned him in front of others, are the same that asked for those who are guilty to be released instead of him, are the same that are I mean, killing the author of life many times over in the secrecy of our hearts. We wanna see Jesus dead. Our lives would be so much easier if Jesus would just stay dead. We really want that if we're honest with ourselves. We're beggars, all of us. From birth we're broken and in life we break things. I mean, that's the human condition, isn't it? We're broken, we're born broken, and then we break things when we grow up. We've not only lost our capacity to wonder, we've destroyed that sense of wonder in ourselves and in others. This is the kind of stuff Peter's telling them. So by ourselves, we're worse off than the beggar in this story. 
Because the beggar here seems to just have a physical problem and he's healed of that and then he starts worshiping God. And if only our problems were that simple. If only they were merely physical problems. We have bigger problems because we need a healing in our hearts. We're incomplete by ourselves. And this beggar, he's content to ask for money. He's content to ask for food for that day, knowing full well he's got to do the same thing tomorrow. So he's content to basically stay in this cycle of over and over and over asking people to provide for him and to come through for him. And so we're not just beggars, all of us here, we're, we're all beggars who are begging for kind of like the wrong things. Because if we're asking for food each day, each day, it just keeps us in a cycle that kind of keeps us oppressed. We don't get to go anything beyond that. We think that if we scrape by enough, we can get that holiday and maybe that's what we need to be refreshed. Or if we work long enough and that will be the excuse we need to do what we want to do and, and that thing, whatever it is, is going to give us relief. Here's a good test uh, of like what you're begging for. Because no, none of us would say like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm begging for that holiday to you know, give me the next you know, little bump until like six months later I need another holiday. No one would really say that, but here's a good test of kind of what we're begging for is what is your fantasy life like? Yes, we're talking about fantasy lives in church. <laughs> um, what, uh, what, what, like when you daydream, what do you daydream about? My dad um, had this like lottery fantasy. He used to play lottery every single day. It's like, oh, when we win, we gotta get this, we gotta do this, we gotta live here, we gotta buy this house, whatever. That's materialism, right? If, I, if only I had enough money, like, I'll, have, I'll live the good life. That'll be the refreshing I need. Uh, maybe you have a, a partner fantasy of like, I, I know I'm incomplete, I totally get it, I know I'm broken, I'm a beggar, but this other person has just the right kind of things and when we're together, it's perfect. Like, everybody believes that about people that they love. That's called codependency because no other human can give you all that stuff that you really need. Or the holiday fantasy that we talked about. There's a burden of work and the only way to be relieved of that burden of work is to go somewhere else like the desktop picture that we might have of like an island somewhere that's really warm and you know, never rains and everyone drinks margaritas or whatever the thing is, and you enjoy yourself. Now, I only kind of very rarely hear about our daydreams or our fantasy life being tied to Jesus in any way. Like, where's Jesus in all that? Like, where do we, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves and we're like, oh man, what I really need is X, rarely that's Jesus. Like, what about, what? The hope of a new world breaking into ours, giving us the healing, the relief, the refreshment, the wonder that we need. That, Jesus is the only one who can do that. He's the only one who can do that. And really, in our fantasies, how many stories, like if they were to be real, how many stories of lottery winners do we hear that end up just as broke, just as poor, and their life ends up worse afterwards? Like the lottery is not gonna do the thing that we want it to do. A lottery, a partner, a holiday, is just not gonna give us what we need because our dreams are too small. We are beggars, we've lost our sense, to, a sense of wonder, and we're just looking down. And in this story, the beggar has to look up to Peter and John. He has to give them his attention in order to be healed. He has to look at him. And what we need to do is give God our attention. That's gonna restore a little bit of the wonder that we need in our lives. We settle for so much less than what we were made for. The only refreshment that we need in this world is Jesus. The only relief that we need is Jesus. Jesus is the only way we can deal with the weight of all those troubles that we mentioned, finances, sickness, relationships, work, whatever the thing might be. We're all beggars, begging for the wrong things, not even dreaming of an experience of deep relief, of deep healing. And we can't even let ourselves dream that way because we know it's not, probably not gonna happen. We can't possibly hope in something that good. So we're all kind of in the same boat, I think, with that regardless of where you are with Jesus. We're all beggars. We're all beggars in this way. What we learn in the next section is um, 
Maybe something a little bit more positive. Like, oh, should we talk about how bad we are? Can we, con- no, we won't do it. Um, we'll talk about more about uh, how good Jesus is, uh, that Jesus heals us. Now, we might have tried to kill Jesus and these people tried to kill Jesus and they succeeded, but thankfully God's more powerful. And in verse 15, Peter says, well, God raised him from the dead. You tried to kill him, but, and you did, you succeeded, way to go, but that couldn't stop Jesus. God still raised him from the dead. And this healing that we have here, where it says, I mean, my thing in the NIV, the little heading says, Peter heals a lame beggar. This healing, though disciples were used, doesn't come through the disciples. It's not first from the disciples. Verse six says, in the name of Jesus, you should walk. Verse 12, uh, Peter and John are saying, why do you stare at us as if it's by our own power, by our own godliness or by our own works that we made this man walk? That means it wasn't us. Verse 16 says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know is made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. So even though Jesus isn't walking on the earth, his resurrected spirit through the Holy Spirit is living through the disciples, is living through the church, and is able to do the same kind of things that Jesus did when he was on earth. So this is like better, this is why Jesus said, the helper who is the spirit is gonna come and will do even better things, he's gonna do even more amazing things. Because now there's all like, the spirit is at work in all these kinds of different people. After Jesus has resurrected, he still, he still heals and he still heals today. This man is healed by God. He's not healed by godliness. He's not healed by someone who might have a lot of zeal. He's not healed by passion. He's not healed by religion. He's not healed by like, learning theology. He's not healed by any of those things. He's healed by God himself. It wasn't the disciples, passions, gifts, expert decision-making, or like, uh, you know, being in the right place at the right time. Or it, was, it was God at work. It was all God. And God used them, not because they were perfect, but because they were willing. Peter is not perfect. We already talked about it. When was the last time you cut someone's ear off with a sword? Hopefully nobody. Like, if so, I would love to hear that story. Like, we could hear, it's way better, whatever is gonna be said today. And what about now our audience who uh, saw this man get healed, and now Peter is using this, just like Jesus would do. Peter heals somebody and then talks about kind of what's going on. Um, how is our audience who's watching this and listening to Peter's sermon, uh, where's the healing that's gonna come there? Like, what, what's the healing there? What, what needs to happen there? Well, if you haven't noticed yet, the healing of the man's physical state is supposed to be a metaphor for the healing that we all get in our hearts spiritually. And it's healing for the whole person. Not just healing someone's legs, not just healing like somebody's Sunday, or not just healing somebody's version of religion. It's healing the whole person completely. So how does Peter talk about this to people who don't have the gift of being physically weak? Because that's what the audience is here. They don't have that gift of being physically weak. He has to explain it a bit. He has to explain it a bit for mo- for more for those who think they have it all together. Basically saying, you are all like beggars like this guy. He made my first point for me, really, what Peter did. The Greek here literally eventually says, repent, therefore, and return so that your sins will be wiped out. What are they supposed to return to? To godliness? No, these are very religious Jews. They're doing all the godly things. They're doing all the religious stuff. Who do they return to? They return to God, God himself. It's not trying harder, it's surrendering more. It's giving up more. And surrender is how we live the Christian life, which is way more difficult than doing more stuff and trying harder. I would much rather try harder than have to surrender. I hate that. Surrendering to God means our attention and our focus are gonna be on him, not on us, not on how we're doing, not if we're in a core group or an MC or all the other things that are really great, but that's not really where our attention has to be. Our attention has to be on God. 
And that changes how we live and that changes how we go. And that means healing and refreshment in God is giving up control, having to give up control, which is difficult because all of our lives were told to, and organized to basically have as much control as possible. We'll get to that a little bit more in a bit. Repent is a very churchy word. What does that mean? Um, often the way that we talk about it at Redeemer is this metaphor of realignment. So we are aligned on one path, which leads one way, which is not to God. Repentance is just realigning, realigning on some other path that is following Jesus, Jesus being the path itself to where we can actually know God, where we can actually uh, get life, where we can experience life, to change our course. If we're off course and we change our course, we're returning to where we're meant to be all along. We're going home. And when this happens, our sins get wiped out because Jesus is there, never to be seen again, no part of who you are, finished once for all. Now, the end of verse 19 has a really interesting thing I didn't realize until I was preparing for the sermon. No, your sins will be wiped out. That's amazing. That's your past, right? Your past, you do all the horrible, shameful, guilty things that kind of come up and will rear its head. That's all done with, actually. And then, but there's this other thing, even more than that, um, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Again, that's like that, what are we, what are we dreaming of? What times of refreshing? That's like a, a new life being breathed into our ordinary lives. That doesn't mean we're gonna be transported to some seventh heaven somewhere on a mountain peak and levitate a little bit as we meditate in the oneness of who God is. That means our very kind of normal, ordinary life will be, uh, will, will be taken over, will be baptized, drenched completely in something new, in God himself. And that's refreshing. That's, that's, um, relief is another word that could be used there. It's like a, when, when there's a problem in your life, you know you that knot that you have in your stomach. A knot is a great way to describe it. It's like a knot getting loosened and all of a sudden things are different. And those who don't give up control are bound to a life of isolation and loneliness, as Peter says at the very, um, uh, at the very end of his, uh, of his sermon, uh, verse 23. Anyone who does not listen to him, anyone who does not listen to what Jesus is telling us, will be completely cut off from their people. Will lead that path of misalignment, leads to a life of isolation, leads to a life of loneliness. And then let's just um, also look at verse 26 there, the very last verse. When God raised up a servant, he sent him first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So those who do go the way of weakness, Jesus was sent from the Father, has come to bless us, to change us, to work with us in giving our attention to God. When you think of Jesus, do you think of someone who's like, what's the first thought? Do you think someone who's blessed you? Or is he like someone who you have to perform really well in order for him to be happy around? Or is he just someone who like would like to bless you but doesn't really have the power to do so? Peter here is saying like, Jesus, who has a power of, 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 of everything, has come to bless us. That's amazing. A blessing from Jesus himself. That's what we get as we're on his path. He's been sent to bless us. Thank God, because we're weak. We're beggars. Beggars need to be blessed. Weak people need to be blessed. When the beggar asked for money, God said, I'm going to give you forgiveness. Also, he did heal them. He did heal them too. When the beggar asked for a meal, God said, I'm going to give you relief. I'm going to give you refreshment. The beggar was looking for something to fix his hunger. God was going to fix his entire person. Now, God does continue to heal in these miraculous ways, but that's not always the ordinary, normal way of things in the world that we broke. We broke this world. People who shouldn't die still do. In fact, death itself is something that should not happen. Our world 
is broken. People get cancer when they shouldn't. Our world is broken. And we contribute to that every day. Now, this story isn't teaching us that everyone who prays will always get all the things that they want. But the story does teach us this. Some of us are asking for things that are far too small, and God wants to use that need, use that hunger pain for something bigger. Some of us focus on being delivered from our circumstances, but God is going to give you something in that difficult circumstance that will allow you to thrive and flourish regardless of whatever circumstances might come in your life. That pain that we have, God might, God might allow that pain to be there because it's the only thing that's actually bringing you to God because without that pain, you wouldn't trust him, you wouldn't go to him, you wouldn't be weak. That's why I can say being accused by my father for a crime I didn't commit was easily the worst thing in my life, but at the same time was like one of the best things that God's ever done. Searching for less than what God gives leaves us oppressed. God, does not, God would rather have us experience temporary pain and know him more fully than to kind of go in the way of complete comfort and never actually know who he is. Because he knows that the way of comfort is actually the way of oppression. If we only look to feed our stomachs, we're gonna be stuck in that circle, day in, over and over and over again, day in, day out, never looking up and giving God our attention. And God, in our weakness, restores us. In our weakness, he heals us. In our weakness, he relieves us of our troubles. So we can be oppressed, never living out our true humanity by settling for something less. Or we, in that weakness, can look up to Jesus. We can give him our attention and we can be restored. The reason this is so difficult is because Jesus goes after the broken, the marginalized, and the weak. I mean, this man was weak. He couldn't even walk to the gate to beg himself. He was completely weak. But if depending on Jesus is the goal, if, that, if that's actually the goal, the Christian life, which we probably would all say it is, then weakness is actually kind of like our superpower. Weakness is power because it allows us, it forces us to have to rely on God. And that also means the real danger in your life is not weakness, that we try and avoid it, is not emptiness, so we try and avoid that. The real danger in your life is power, is prosperity, is when good things come and we don't think we need God. Think of every single story in the Old Testament of how Israel worked. Whenever things were really good, going good for them, they're like, oh yeah, God, yeah, we don't really need him. We're, we're all right, we're comfortable which left them oppressed and often then would lead to literally being oppressed by becoming slaves by some other kind of outside power. The poverty of the rich is they don't realize where they're poor and we, the rich, do not realize where we're poor. God does not want us to miss out on that. And if depending on Jesus is the goal, the weakness of power is power. And in that weakness, we get to experience the healing that Jesus brings. So we get forgiveness, we get refreshing, we get to be blessed by Jesus himself and that makes us whole, that makes us unified, that makes us complete. All the disparate parts of us that seem like there's not enough parts and the parts that we do have don't fit together. Jesus makes that all one, it makes it all make sense together. So where are the places where you, as you're listening to this, as we're bringing this, where are the, where are the places that you need healing? Where are the places that you need relief? And how are you taking that to Jesus? Or is it something that it's just, you feel like it's too close, you can't even take it to him? How are you involving others in that? Because this is not a solo kind of situation here. It's not a solo project. In the hunger that you might have, that's loneliness, that's depression, that's weakness, all, all the kind of things that we all experience because we're all humans. Where do you see Jesus in that? Is he in the picture at all? Like, does he even exist? Is he on the outside of a window kind of looking in? What this story tells us is he's right there and he's blessing us, right there with you.
and he's blessing you. You might say, yeah, but you don't know kind of a, he's right there blessing you, right there with you. Don't let whatever kind of weakness um, or whatever kind of guilt and shame that you have stop him, uh, stop you from realizing how much he's blessing you. So we're blessed by Jesus and um, the healing that we all need restores us from weakness to wonder because we were always meant for wonder. Human beings were always meant for, we were never meant to be like so ho-hum and blase about everything. The healing we all need restores us from weakness to wonder. So this beggar is one minute begging for scraps. Uh, the friends and family had to take him there, bring him back. Next minute, he's healed. And it didn't seem like he even needed to learn how to walk. I mean, he's like dancing, he's jumping. I feel like dancing and jumping require, you know, some kind of progress and figuring out how to do it. I mean, what must a dance be like for someone who's never walked before? It was probably hilarious. Um, there must have been something kind of amazing to see and also completely silly and ridiculous. I mean, is there a grown man jumping around and dancing? That's not my thing. Um, but there he is because he's lost in wonder and people are watching and they're like, wow, it's, this, this is crazy. This wonder leads us to bless others. Uh, as Peter says, uh, he says, uh, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. So the promise made to Abraham thousands of years ago before this, before us, is now a promise kept through Jesus. M- years ago, God made a promise to Abraham is now a promise is kept to Jesus. We've been given this blessing. And one of the great things about it is we get to be part of, a, of this blessing to others. To give and to love without expecting anything in return, the way that Jesus acted, to offer healing to people, speaking the loving words of the gospel for those who need it. Like how amazing it is to be a part of that. We can enjoy God. We can be filled with joy and enter into God's wonder through a life of worship and praise. And other people are gonna see that and they'll be like, what in the world is going on? Either they're completely silly and ridiculous, which if you saw me dance, it'd be very true. Uh, Or they might also be like, wow, I wonder what's going on there. It's very interesting. God has pumped this world so full of his glory, so full of wonder. We don't have to be like those kids in Colorado who are completely missing it, completely not, getting, not taking advantage of it. Recently, um, some friends of ours in America who son, uh, they had a son who was born with some hearing problems. And I can't remember if he was completely deaf or basically functionally completely deaf, but he just recently got a cochlear, cochlear ear implant so he can hear now. And they posted the video, was it Friday? of his, their son like hearing for the first time. He was completely overwhelmed. He didn't really actually know what to do with the sensory of hearing. He was looking around and everyone's asking him all these millions of questions like, oh, do you want this? Can you hear me? What do you think of this? And he's like, he just can't handle it. He's like buried his face in his hands. He's like three or something. He's younger than Colin. I mean, have you ever seen, the, I don't know, you may have seen some of those videos before, like pictures or stories of, like, that's, like, of kids seeing or hearing for the first time, the surprise and kind of the wonder on their faces. Here's just some that I just kind of randomly ran across of like, what in the world is going on in my life right now? I'm hearing something. Uh, here's another one. That's great. Is it the lolly? Is it the hearing? Is it both? Um, and then... Uh, yeah, it's just this kind of like, what? Like, my world has changed. Like, something is completely different. This is what that was like for that beggar. He couldn't walk ever before. He didn't, couldn't even dream of walking. Like, these kids probably never thought, like, I could hear because they didn't know what hearing even was. It's like, how, how can you long for something that you don't even know you needed before until you have that thing? He was once weak, but now he's jumping around. He's excited. He's joyful. A new world has opened up for these people. And... If that's how someone who didn't hear and now hears acts, imagine how it must be when someone who was dead and who is now alive should act. 
which is something those who follow Jesus, we've, we've experienced someone whose soul was broken and is now healed. Like for those who follow Jesus, have we forgotten how Jesus has healed us? Have we forgotten how, like without him, how lost and, and desperate and broken we would be without him? How Jesus has brought us out from being the walking dead to a new life, into a new world? Now, there are two things I think um, we can take, well, there's lots of things we can take away from this, but maybe just two we'll focus on today because otherwise we'll be here for hours. Uh, first, if we're healed, if we are restored, we worship. And to the degree that we understand how Jesus has healed our whole life, our whole lives will be worship. Now, that may not mean jumping around and dancing. Um, Katrina, I know that you really want to jump around and dance right now. You've got to turn it down a little bit. Um, that was actually a joke originally meant for Ross, so sorry. Because I was like, who, who's the least likely person to dance around? Probably me. It's not something anyone wants to see, actually. Um, that may not mean like, you know, actually literally jumping up around and dancing, but it could look like, like speaking to God each day in prayer because you're like, oh, that is amazing. Like, I can't believe I get to talk to him. He healed me and I'm changed so much. It could be making margin in your day to meditate on his word, the way that he speaks to us. That might mean people experience you as a person of joy, a person of, of levity, of of. Uh, of happiness. Like we should be joyful people. And that doesn't mean we should like plaster these fake smiles and religious smiles on our faces. It means we can have a joy that pervades any kind of circumstance that we're in. It's not something we manufacture on our own, in fact, joy. Joy comes from enjoying a life with God, being known by Jesus. Jesus knows who we are, being known by him. Joy comes from enjoying a life with God. And that means there are gonna be, uh, well, there are many reasons, I think, that we struggle with joy. And it's uh, not a simple solution, and beware of anyone who says it is simple. But there are questions we can ask for ourselves when we're kind of in that mode of struggling with joy. Um, one of them, one of the probably many questions to ask is, do we understand how much Jesus has blessed us? Do we really understand how much Jesus has blessed us? Have we gotten too used to it? Like, yeah, 14,000 foot peaks, cool. There's like snows up there all the time. Trees can't even grow up there. Yeah, that's cool. Like, what? That's amazing. We're beggars who've been given everything. We don't deserve the keys to the kingdom, yet God delights to give us all that he has. Joy comes from enjoying a life with God. Not first a life of serving God, not uh, first a life of being um, super passionate about God. Those things are great, but first being with God. And that's the difference between uh, a lot of activity that um, is basically immature and unsustainable versus a more mature, sustained life of worship one that is deeper than our circumstances, deeper than our struggles, a life with God before we do anything for him. So if you want more info on this joy thing, by the way, because uh, it can be difficult and there are lots of, loads of other kind of things that go into this. Um, you can talk to me, you can send in a question to the thing down there. I won't know who sends it in, so it can be anonymous. If you're in a core group, you can talk to those people. If you're not in one, talk to me about that. There, basically what I'm saying, there's no lack of people who want to come alongside you in your journey with God. There's no lack of people. And if anything, we offer too many things for the size church that we are. So there, if, if, there, if you, I don't want to hear like a year from now that right now you're going through a problem. That would be tragic. That would be horrible. That would be bad for you. That's bad for us because that's the job of the church is for us to come alongside each other. So please don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to us bring it to somebody so we can bring it to God together. And so that's application number one. Joy comes from enjoying a life with God. The, le- the second one um, is, uh, think about this. Who are these people who are bringing the healing? Who are these people? Who, who is Peter and John? Who is bringing blessing where it doesn't exist yet? 
These people are like us. Was Peter perfect? No. He's hor- like, he was a horrible person. He should not be the leader. He's a bullying leader. Peter is a bullying leader. He should not be where he is. What was Jesus thinking? He didn't get it right, but you know, I guess he scooted by. Remember, God does not require perfection. He gives us permission. Thank God he doesn't require perfection. Otherwise, we would never do anything. Every time we think he does, it stops us from doing something. Perfection has never, like the, the goal of perfection has never actually made anybody want to do anything. Permission to join him in this kind of restoration that we're reading about now. It's not about our ability. It's about our availability to the spirit. And Jesus has chosen you not only to receive his blessing, he has chosen you to be a part of giving his blessing to others. You're like, yeah, but I, I need more training. No, you don't need more training. Like Peter was not smart. He was, he, the best job he could get was a fisherman. Like he wasn't like a tax collector. That's a really clever job. Like steal money from people in a way that make, like that's legal. That's a really kind of clever job. He wasn't one of those. He was just a fisherman. He, and he was chosen by God to lead the church. You were, we were incomplete people made whole by Jesus, called to bring that wholeness into all of life no matter where you think you are. And actually, if you think you're not good enough, yeah, that's the point. You're not. You never will be. You're not good enough. You never will be. And that's why you're good enough. Does that make sense? Yeah. The power to live on Jesus' mission, which is the front of everyone. If you had brought your book, your Acts books with you, there's some in the back if you need some, by the way. The power to live on Jesus' mission comes from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from us. So God himself, the most powerful thing we can ever imagine, the person with the most wisdom we can ever possibly fathom, his choice was to use you to bring his blessing into the world. So it doesn't really matter what you think. God's made his decision. You're his plan A. That's how much God has your back. That's how much he believes in his work in you. That's amazing. He wants you to be a part of his plan to bring wholeness into this broken world. So joy comes from joining God and bringing wholeness to others. If we aren't joining God in this, we're missing out. And I think this is why Christianity and churches can get really kind of boring and stale sometimes. Because being on his mission is exciting. It's risky. Like, we're probably gonna fail. Like, and, and when we fail, we're gonna fail spectacularly and all sorts of people are going to see. But joining God uh, in his mission is, there's, there's risk, there's adventure. It's what we're made for. We're actually made to be a blessing to others. And when we're not doing that, we're the ones who are missing out, let alone all the other people we're supposed to interact with. It's what we're made for. And the only way broken people can not only enjoy wholeness, but be part of wholeness itself, this whole wholeness project, is because Christ has taken away that brokenness. Christ removed our brokenness. He's rescued us from ourselves by being broken himself. He took it upon him. He literally took his brokenness upon his body. He became weak so that in our weakness, we can bring that to God. And Christ saved us from brokenness by being broken himself. He took himself in all his weakness and he offered it to God. All his attention was to God as an offering for us. This is the ultimate blessing that God took the punishment that we deserve and has blessed us in a way that no other person can even begin to do. God gives us all we need in him, restoring a broken relationship to something of wonder, to something of awe, to something of blessing. And this bread that we get to celebrate is a symbol of Christ's body who is broken on our behalf all that weakness, all that brokenness done away with because he was broken. And the cup that Jesus drank was the punishment that we deserved. And as he spilled his blood out for us, now we don't have to drink the cup of punishment. We get to drink the cup of blessing. 
But I don't know um, about you, but I feel like one of the perfect kind of dinners is wine, bread, and cheese. Like that's like the basic, that, like, that's so perfect. Like there's nothing better than that. That's to me is like celebration. I say, yeah, you guys are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we don't have any cheese. We have wine and bread. Um, and feel free to get a big hunk of bread to feel like it's a meal. Uh, but uh, that, 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 the, that's like a symbol of, of rest, of relaxation, of celebration. If it's a Friday night and there's wine, bread, and cheese on and we're watching Netflix or whatever, it's like, ah, oh, that's great. Just feels like how it should be. The way that we get that rest was through the path that Jesus walked. We can get that rest. We can get, as it says in the NIV here, that refreshment through what Jesus has done. And we get to drink in this joy because Jesus has healed us. He's seen us at our worst. He knows it better than we do and took our broken selves and made us whole. Now this meal is rededicating our walk with Jesus. And uh, it's it's a a walk of repentance. All of us need to realign ourselves and ask ourselves, where in our hearts do we need to realign ourselves with God? If you don't follow Jesus yet, please don't be religious and do something you don't believe in, but you're welcome to join us if you wanna take that first step in that journey. Because all of us here, we were all once beggars. For those who follow Jesus, now we're healed. And we're restored from that weakness that we were oppressed by, that we were stuck in, and now we get to be restored to a life of wonder. And we get to enjoy this for ourselves, and we get to participate in the joy of bringing it to others. Let me pray.